This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program as we close out another week on the Friday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about things going on in your life, anything pretty much on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial our main number. It's 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send the questions to us that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way always is to use the free KSLR mobile app, hit the call now banner and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer and we would love to finish the week with your phone calls. Uh, Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching uh, the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 3 and then on Sunday we are just starting in the fourth chapter, the final chapter of 2 Timothy. So that uh, that's what's on agenda here. Wherever it is you're going to church, do me a favor and just go. Just go. Don't watch online. Just get to church, fellowship, use the gifts that God has given you, and uh, you will be blessed and be a blessing to others as well. Hey, well, a, a quick newsy item for you. Um, we've had a lot of questions about it, sort of toned down a little bit in the last week or so, but... Um, there was new news on the John MacArthur situation in Los Angeles. Um, the last time we talked about it, he lost his appeal, um, uh, but but continued to appeal. Uh, well, on yesterday, actually, they got news. Uh, they had another victory. And so they're going to be permitted to keep opening uh, until something gets done. Well, their Their case was that there needed to be a ruling on the constitutional issue. Before the state could shut them down, they needed a ruling on the constitutional issue about the right to gather together uh, and practice whatever religion you practice. And the judge agreed with them, and so he said until that issue is settled, and that is a long, drawn-out thing, they have been given practically the freedom of of meeting. Um, You know, there, there are people taking a lot of risks just to keep churches open. We need to do our part, and by that I mean we need to go, once again, be an active part of our church bodies. The end is near. Jesus is coming. We need to be serious about our commitment to the Lord. Okay, well, let's get to some questions while we wait for your phone calls. The first one comes from Charles. Pastor Ron, what does it mean practically to pray without ceasing? Charles, when I read that, Paul writes that to the churches in Thessalonica. When I read that for a long time, every time I read it, it made me feel so guilty. Like like my prayer life was so inadequate. I thought, how can anybody be, uh, you know, on their knees in a prayer closet all the time? That just doesn't work. Well, uh, I think learning really, Charles, what this verse means um, was really the thing that kind of set my prayer life free. And what it means is that we're always to be in a relationship with Jesus. I call it just being with Jesus or practicing the presence of the Lord. And you know, when you're with somebody, it's kind of rude not to talk to him. So you just talk to him. And that's what it means. Now, Paul was a man who was on the go. 
So what he means by it, and you can read in his epistles, he's got long lists of people that he's greeting and long lists of people that he's praying for. I remember you always in all of my prayers, thanking God for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, he told the church at Philippi. He was, as he moved along, as he was going from one place to another in his service for Jesus, uh, he was praying for people continually. No dead time. And that's one of the things I've learned to like the most about my walk with Jesus. Wherever I am, I'm aware that he's there. I can talk to him. I can ask him questions. I can cry out last night. I got a a phone call from a man who was in such pain, such pain. And I mean, I couldn't even recognize him uh, at first. And and, um, I just, all I could do is just cry out. Jesus was there with me. All I could do is cry out. Jesus, have mercy on this man and give him comfort, give him relief from his pain. And see, if you know Jesus is always there, then whatever it is you encounter during the day, then you're going to be uh, in prayer. You can pray for the people that you come across, the, the unbelievers, those who are obviously unbelievers. You can pray for your family members. You can pray for your believers. And you do that in a way that's conversational. You just take them before the Lord and and uh, always lift them up. And I think one of the things about my walks with Jesus, um, you know, I'm out running and then then leave enough time that I can walk. And uh, that, that's the time quiet. It's hard for me to, to, to hear from Jesus when I'm breathing hard or when I'm really exercising hard. So I do that and I'm making my request known to God with a, with a grateful heart. And I can do that while I'm running. But, but then I stop. So I have enough time that I can just slow down and just casually walk with Jesus and listen for his voice. And Charles, what he means is simply keep that line of communication open and active all the time. There's not a minute of a day that Jesus isn't available to us because of the access we've been given to heaven. And because we can talk to him all the time, the tragedy is that we don't do it. And I try to remember, I'm aware, when somebody says something to me in the street or they ask a question or or uh, just, just I'm looking for opportunities to share. Um, I'm aware of the, the, the person and the power of the Holy Spirit and I'm looking for him to provide that opening. And that's just one example of praying without ceasing. Obviously, it doesn't mean praying 24-7. It just means that you're always talking to Jesus. You're always trying to hear from the Lord. And especially as it relates to the people that he loves, the people that you encounter throughout the course of the day. One other comment about this, Charles, that I think is really important. It's hardest for most of us to pray for people who have really done bad stuff, people that have really hurt us. Um, Those are the people we need to pray for the most because those are the ones that put our heart in danger. We can hold grudges and then our prayers can't be heard. We can hold on to unforgiveness. Frankly, it feels good to our flesh when we do that, especially when they deserve it. But those are the people that we need to be praying for constantly. And for me, Charles, when I pray for them, God really changes my heart toward them. And I can honestly say, in spite of what some people have done and the the attacks on the ministry and the other things, there isn't a single person on this planet that I'm holding unforgiveness toward. And I know that that open door for prayer, pray without ceasing, is always available to me. Very important as we protect our hearts before the Lord. Thank you, Charles, for the question. I have an anonymous, another um, question about prayer, but this one's personal toward me. Uh, I want to know, do you really pray every day for the people in your church? Uh, I do, Anonymous. Um, Now, the the prayer takes different forms. Um, Obviously, I can't know everybody who comes to church. I can recognize them and see them, but but there's just way too many people, and my mind is too old and too feeble. But um, the way I've always done it, and um, this might help some of you organize your prayers, I've got a prayer board in my office at home, and it's filled with pictures. Uh, I'm a visual guy, and so I've got pictures. I've got 
my elders in one place. I've got my pastors in another place. I've got people who are sick and need prayer for healing in another area on that board. And and then and then it just kind of scatters around. People who have, have been such a, an important part of the ministry, who've had to move out of town or do other things. So I've got people on that prayer list. I like to put the face to the name. Um, uh, this is after I pray for my own family because I've obviously got prayers of, or pictures of Paul and my, my two boys and their, their wives and my grandkids. So I'm, that, that's just, I don't want to forget. So that's how I remember. And so I pray for them. Um, but then as I go out running or walking, there are things that I walk by that remind me of certain people. For example, there is a um, um, a cop, uh, SAPD guy, um, who who had a house just around the corner. Now he's long since moved, but it's just around the corner. So when I I go on that street, uh, that's the place that I pray for our police officers, our firefighters, and and other first responders. And I'm praying for salvation. I'm praying for the protection. Uh, I pray for them by name, the, the, the police officers in our church. We do all of us good at this particular point in our history in this world to pray for our police officers and their families every single day. They have such a thankless job, and most of them want so badly to serve the Lord so I can pray for them. Uh, then I'll go up the street a little bit, and, and there is um, um, a homosexual couple that I've known now for my gosh, six, seven, eight years, I guess. Um, and and I, I have a chance to pray for them. At the same time, I then can pray for people in the church who've struggled with homosexuality or same-sex attraction. And I can pray for the others who who have just given themselves over to it and, and sort of pleading with God to bring them back. And then I pray for some very public people, people that I have a hard time with. They, there's no fear of God there. They, they flaunt their sin in the face of God. And yet I want to keep my heart tender for them. So I pray for them by name as well. And these are people that I will likely never meet. But the idea there is I just there's, there's certain areas on the route that I go that remind me of things. There's a place in our neighborhood where this beautiful godly woman uh, in our church lived just up the street and I get up there and I can pray for her and then right across the street there's a house that's just like uh, the founding uh, uh, principal of our, our, our Christian academy here I pray for him and his family and so it's just there's everything is connected and I do it that way so I don't forget I want to be able to say that I pray for people uh, continually and when I say daily I let them know it doesn't mean that I miss some days I'm sure but I want people to know they're really being prayed for. And for me as a pastor, it seems impossible not to pray for the people that God has entrusted into our care. So yeah, I really do pray every day for the people in our church. I pray uh, for people uh, that, that we've sent out to, to plant churches. Um, and it's a really important part of my life. It's just that time when Jesus and I are alone uh, except sometimes Paula goes with me on those prayer times, so uh, then we can pray together. But um, um, I just I, I I make sure that there are things that will help me be sure never to forget to pray for some of those people. Very very important part of my life. So thank you. I don't know if that was a skeptical question. Oh come on, you can't. But uh, that's another thing I learned from the Apostle Paul. His prayer list was impressive to say the least. 340-9585. We love your live calls to close out the week. Here's a question from Benjamin. He said, Do you think there is life on other planets? Benjamin, no, I do not. Jesus said he told us everything. And Jesus gave us this one planet, this shining star, where he decided to, to, to make the most glorious thing available. And I, I've never quite understood the fascination, Benjamin, with, with um, outer space and, uh, my goodness, the money that we've wasted. And I realize that the astronauts and the whole space program is filled with heroic people, smart people, and they've done great things. But they're looking for something that isn't there. And 
whenever we think of people out there, we always picture them as being or, or, or living beings out there. We always think of them being as smarter than we are, more advanced than we are. That's sort of the whole um, crux of sci-fi. But, but you know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we're the best thing God ever made. We're the, 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 the expression, the beautiful expression of his creativity. So we're the best thing he ever did. Why would God make us and then try to duplicate it in other places? So, no, I don't believe that there's life on other planets. And, um, again, I understand the fascination, sort of the the explorer, adventure spirit. Um, But um, I, I believe that what we see is what we've got, what the Bible tells us. Jesus said he's held nothing back. He's told us everything. So, Ben, I don't think there's life on other planets at all. And I believe that demons would love for us to believe that there is. Um, and I know when people start seeing UFOs, um, boy, they really get carried away with stuff. So that's this one person's opinion. Anonymous says, when confessing sins to God... What happens if you forget some? And I assume you mean some of your sins. Um, confessing. Let me let me explain what that means. The, the word confession, when you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive you. The word confession there means to agree with God about what sin is. That's the most important part about confessing our sins. Just agree with God that the things I'm doing wrong are my fault. I did them. I knew they were wrong. And I did them anyway. And then you can get to the next place. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. So I don't think it was ever intended that we make a list of sins that we confess daily to the Lord. Um, I think when we are guilty of willful sin, we need to deal with that. We need to deal with it quickly. We want to keep really short accounts with God. But remember that your forgiveness doesn't depend on you having a great memory and remembering them all. Not at all. If you confess, he forgives you. And more than that, he purifies you from all unrighteousness so you're in perfect standing with the Lord. Um, all over again. You're, you're, you're as if you hadn't sinned. But the confession there is to agree with God. Don't make excuses for your sin. Don't blame your sins on somebody else, your environment, your parents. Uh, bad breaks. Just, just say, Jesus, I blew it. And then all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. And Anonymous, I would do that every day. I do that every day. Sometimes I do that several times a day. I just want, I just want my heart to be right with God for everything that I do. So uh, if you forget something, here's the good news. God will forget it soon, too. You just say, Lord, I, I sin. I'm sorry. I had lustful thoughts. Then you can't help the thoughts that come in your mind. But you can fight them. And if you give in to them, you say, Lord, I don't want to do that. One of the things in, consistent with the prayer questions that I've just had, when I'm walking with the Lord, my mind wanders. I mean, just I'll hear something, somebody will say something, or just because my mind is brittle, I'll, my mind will wander. And I'll get to the point where I say, oh, Lord, I haven't been talking to you for five minutes. I've been thinking about something else or doing this or talking about some other situation. And I say, Lord, please forgive me. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. And that's just a quick sort of on-the-fly confession that, God, my mind is feeble. I'm so sorry. And he forgives me, Anonymous. So um, don't worry about you forgetting something. Your salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends entirely on him, on Jesus. Good question. Here is a question from Jack. He says, will there be another temple built in Israel before the rapture? Jack, no, not before the rapture at all. There will be another temple built in Jerusalem, right next to the Muslim shrine that is currently there. You see it in all the pictures with that golden dome. Well, just outside of that, we're told in Ezekiel, we're told in Revelation, we're told also in um, Zechariah, 
just outside that footing where the the, the Islamic shrine is, they're gonna they're gonna find eventually that that is the exact footing of Solomon's original temple. And um, the Antichrist is going to be hailed as a man of peace. He's going to negotiate uh, a peace between the, the, the Jews and the Muslims. And they're going to be able to build this, this um, magnificent new temple. Um, but all of that has to happen after the rapture. Because the man of lawlessness, we're told, won't be revealed until the church, the Holy Spirit working in the church, is taken out of the way. So the Antichrist comes after the church is gone in the rapture. The Antichrist then negotiates this this deal of a lifetime for peace between Muslims and Jews, Arabs and Jews who, who hate one another. Uh, and then the, the the Temple Mount will be rebuilt miraculously fast. So we're looking for a third temple, but you and I will be in heaven with Jesus, Jack, uh, because we'll be raptured to be with him. And then uh, that third temple will be at the midway point in the Great Tribulation at the three-and-a-half-year mark, according to Daniel. Um, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, he will, the Antichrist will... Um, be the abomination that caused desolation. He will demand to be worshipped in the Holy of Holies. And that's when the Jews will say, no, this isn't a man of peace at all, and they will flee to the rock city of Petra in Jordan. It's a natural um, escape route. Um, it can It's so easily defended. Only one person at a time can go through that little opening, and of course they'd be able to kill them as soon as they would try to come through. So so God is going to protect them. He's going to take them uh, using Isaiah's imagery like uh, like they're on the wings of eagles to the safe place where they will be um, protected from the Antichrist who wants to kill them because they will refuse to worship him. One of the things that this, the devil has always wanted, he's always wanted this, Jack, he's wanted to be worshipped as God. I will cast my throne above the Most High. He wasn't content to being God's most beautiful creation. He wanted to be God. No longer worshiping, but he rather would be worshipped. And that's the whole motive behind everything we see, this anger we see being poured out in these last days. And it's an anger that's going to get much, much worse as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, and then in the Great Tribulation, it's going to boil over. And when Jews refused to bow down, remember when he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar no doubt was demon-possessed. Um, he threw him in the fire. It turned up seven times hotter, which really doesn't make any sense. You know, if you're really angry, you turn it down a little bit so they're slow roasted so it's more painful. He turned it up seven times hotter and in the process, his own people were burned up as they approached the heat. And yet Daniel, uh, not Daniel wasn't there, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in the fire and um, there happened to be a mysterious fourth person in the middle of the fire walking around and he had unbound them and they were up and walking around. And Nebuchadnezzar, that was the beginning of the end for him. By that I mean that was as he began to to come to an awareness that Jesus Christ truly was God. So that's, I think, the answer. Thank you for the question. Hey, the phones are quiet. 340-9585. I think we got a couple minutes left in this half of the program. Uh, Miguel says, When everyone is speaking in tongues at the same time in church, is it a genuine gift of the Holy Spirit? Miguel, that's a gift, a bad gift, a return gift, a re-gifter uh, of the flesh. Whenever you go into church and everybody's speaking tongues at the same time, that is a church that is completely out of control. Now, the gift of tongues obviously can be counterfeited. Uh, we can yabba-dabba-do with the best of them, but it's not by the power of God's Spirit. Whenever it is in contradistinction to what the Word says 
in terms of its appropriate use, then we know it's not the Holy Spirit who's leading. It's just the flesh. It's uh, the spirit of the evil one. But but everybody speaking in tongues at the same time may give people goosebumps, but it's just weird. And if you've been in one of those churches and you've heard it, you know it's weird. So it's not a genuine gift of the Holy Spirit. When he gives a gift, we use it according to his rules. And he says that we're not to do that. Good question, Miguel. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the final half hour of our program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR for your live calls and questions Hey, I was just reminded that one of my spiritual heroes uh, turns 88 today, Charles Stanley, um, the, formerly the pastor of uh, Atlanta First Baptist Church, um, world famous for his in-touch uh, television and radio ministries, and just a really faithful guy. I, we, we talked about him, I think, the end of last week uh, when somebody sent me a, a link that he was stepping down as the pastor after 50 years, uh, just the faithfulness of a guy and his willingness to fight through trials. Uh, he's not retiring. He wanted to be very clear about that. I mean, he's, he's going to devote his time and effort to in-touch ministries. But it was just time. The Lord was leading for him to turn uh, Atlanta First Baptist Church over to one of his staff pastors who, who was always sort of the heir apparent. And um, we wish him a happy birthday. We wish him well. And uh, I just thank God for the faithfulness of men like that. You know, something about me, I'm, as I get older, I'm really starting to appreciate those guys who are older than I am who've been faithful through it all. You know, I've been the pastor here for 25 years, and it's hard to be faithful. It's hard not to get your feelings hurt. It's hard um, to, to watch all of the pain and the heartbreak that that people go through, that you have to deal with. And to see somebody like Charles Stanley, uh, who has navigated it with such integrity and honor, uh, and and always seemed to really enjoy what he was doing. You know, I never got the sense listening to him preach the Bible. I never got the sense it was like, okay, here I go. And he never felt like he was putting it on autopilot. Always looked and felt like he was giving it his his all. So people like him, people like Tony Evans, who uh, is another man that I admire so much. David Jeremiah is another one. I'm getting older, so older people are really, really appealing to me, I guess. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, happy birthday to Charles Stanley. Here's a question from Joe. He said, Pastor Ron, would you please explain the tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility? Joe, um, I'll do this briefly. We get questions like this quite often. I don't think there's any tension at all. I, I think we create that tension because we, we sort of think in a linear fashion rather than understanding that God is sovereign over all things, but he doesn't cause all things. Let me say that again. He's sovereign over all things, but he doesn't cause all things. And I think when we view sovereignty... We always view it as causative. People will say, well, why even pray if God knows what I'm going to do? Well, the answer usually is, well, that's why you need to pray even more, because God knows what you're going to do. And we get to choose what God knows about us. You see, he lives outside of time and space, and he is um, he knows the, the end from the beginning. And so he knows what every person is going to do, but he doesn't cause us to do those things. 
And he's always with us so that we can change those things that we are going to do so that we can be pleasing to him. I think it's really important that we understand this. What God wants, Joe, between humans and, and, and Father, Son, and Spirit in heaven is partnership. Partnership. I'm responsible to God to partner with him in what he wants to do. If, if all I want is for God to do what I want, well, then I'm not in partnership with him. I'm sort of dictating terms to him, and I, I certainly have no ability, we as humans have no ability to do that. So, I honestly don't think there's any tension at all. God knows who's going to be saved, so he chooses them. But he chooses them on the basis of his foreknowledge, meaning he knows who's going to choose him, so he chooses us, we're going to choose him back. When I got saved in, in 1991, 29 years ago, I, um, I, I really I didn't know I was going to get saved. But he did. He knew right then and there, and he was creating the circumstances in my life, forcing me to deal with the mess that I'd made. And I had to come to an awareness of just how bad I really was. We have a, a young man here uh, named Ray Ray. He, he uh, helps us usher, and he works here a few days a week here at the academy doing things. And um, um, Ray Ray has some, some learning disabilities. And he, he always calls me, he calls Ron the Jerk. Hey, there's Ron the Jerk. And he'll say that with complete strangers. He, he, he holds on to something that he hears. Like he heard me say that, you know, I've been Ron the Jerk my whole life. Hey, there's Ron the Jerk. And he'll never let me forget it. And see, I had to come to the place where I realized I was Ron the Jerk. So Ray Ray is actually a gift to me because if I ever start thinking a little highly of myself, then I'd be talking to some people who are new to the church and, and he'll come say, hey, you know who this is? It's Ron the Jerk. And then I can explain to them, yeah, he knows who I really am. And my flesh is nothing good. So all we have to do, Joe, is partner with God. And again, I don't see any tension in that at all. Every single day, you and I have the choice about what we're going to do and who we're going to serve. Who is the priority in our heart? And if our priority is God, then we have partnered with him in getting his will done in our lives. So again, I don't see any tension there. I know people... Um, always talk about this this tension. Um, but remember, sovereignty doesn't equate to God causing what happens. And we often think that that's the case. Judas. Did Judas have to betray the Lord? I mean, he was the one chosen from the beginning of time to be the, the son of perdition. But, but no, Jesus gave him three and a half years of opportunities to see to experience who he really was. And he gave him choice after choice. Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss, he said. So Judas simply refused to partner with God and thus betrayed the Lord. So uh, again, Joe, just no tension, at least as, as I understand it. If that is not an adequate answer to your question, maybe you can send in another question asking for a little more specific information. But I just think that's the easiest way to understand it. God chose me because he knew I was going to choose him. God knows what I'm going to do today. And if what he knows about me isn't pleasing to him, well, then he's given me his word. He's given me his Holy Spirit to sort of nudge me back into line. Gives me a chance to, to repent and I love his sovereignty in that sense. So I hope that helps. Jerry said, Jesus intercedes for us. So why do we need other people to pray for us? Well, Jerry, I don't know that we need other people to pray for us, but we're told to ask for prayer. Paul asked for prayer. Paul asked for prayer. If Paul did it, we can do it. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, if there's a need... Um, I'll, I, I put it out there for prayer. I, I can ask this audience. I know you'll pray. Uh, Reuben is a good example, a, a frequent caller of a of a, a young man 
who so many of you have prayed for. And look what God is doing in his life. Well, I'm going to ask for prayer for a man named Alfred in our church. God knows what the issues are. Please pray for him. Please pray for him. So Jesus intercedes. He does. Hebrews chapter 7, he lives to intercede. He's actually a, an everlasting, ever-living statement of intercession, Jerry. Um, that's why we ask other people to pray, just where two or more gathered in his name. He is there in the midst. And if we agree on anything, then we have what we ask for, if we can pray in the Spirit of God, in the will of God. Now, let me make one other comment, Jerry, because I'm not exactly sure where you're coming from uh, in this question, but we do not need to um, ask Mary to pray for us. We do not need to ask the saints as understood by the Catholic tradition. We don't need to ask them to pray for us. They're not special. We're everybody, every bit as much a saint as they are. Um, so we, we, don't, we don't ask dead people to pray for us. And I know there's a lot of logical, common sense sounding explanations. Well, you know, if you go to his mother, he wants to do what his mother says. No, his mother is just a sinner who's a servant of God. So we don't need to ask people to pray for us, especially those who are dead. Jerry mentioned in a, a, a radio program, I think right at the end of last week, um, you know, when, when we've got some people, some precious people, been so, so precious in my life, who've gone to be with Jesus, some of them way before they were ready, and, and others, um, you know, as we watched them grow old together. And, and um, I don't talk to them. I don't ask them to do anything. But, but not every day, but nearly every day, I'll ask Jesus to say hi to him for me, tell him I love him, I'm so grateful to you for them. Let him know I miss him and I'll see him again. We lost an eight-year-old boy, Nehemiah, a couple of years ago. And there's one place on my walk, I get to that place and I remember him every day. Every day. So I say, Jesus, tell him I love him and miss him. And then I pray for his family. We still hurt. Praying for strength and grace. There's a young woman who was murdered in our church. She was, I don't know, four foot eight, four foot nine. A young Filipino woman and she would come up to me and lay her head right on my chest. And she'd squeeze me so hard and she'd say, Oh, Pastor Ron, I love you so much. I thank God for you. Even now as I'm sitting here in the studio, I'm looking at a picture that she took for me. When she came to our church, I was teaching the Book of Romans, and so there's a candle and an open Bible and some glasses open to Romans chapter 1. And I miss her so much, even after all these years. So I let Jesus deliver my messages to them. We don't talk to people that are dead. So, Jerry, that's from both perspectives I can think of from your question. So thank you very much. Here's an easy one. Red says, what is your opinion of Joseph Prince's ministry? Uh, Red, Joseph Prince is a terrible false teacher. Um, there is nothing to recommend or commend about his ministry uh, at all. Um, just stay away. Um, huge, huge, huge following. People won't put up a sound doctrine, Paul writes to Timothy at the end of his life, but said they'll gather teachers around them who'll scratch their itching ears, you know, just tell them the stuff they want to hear. Well, Joseph Prince is of that mindset. He's a false teacher and uh, not worth any of your time at all. Let's go to our first call today. Thank you, Jesus, for Ray from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Bless you, Pastor Ron. That was the nicest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ray. Uh, well, you know, because I think probably... Uh, 
you don't have a photo or of me. If I if I give you a crayon, because uh, uh, I I I am not an artist. My my stick people <laughs> don't even <laughs> resemble stick people. <laughs> So you know, I'm I'm really bad at it, but I, I I on occasion have said, well, let me get a crayon and I'll write your number on the wall here, you know, because <laughs> they'll go, oh, do you have a paper and pen or something? No, but I got a crayon. <laughs> so I was thinking maybe maybe since uh, you may not be reminded of my needs or you know just my my lame self uh that uh <clears throat> i gave you a crayon somehow <laughs> you could just put my my uh stick uh image on on a wall somewhere you know <laughs> ray i i actually think i do have a picture of you uh i think from one of our christmas dinners um and i, I think it's uh, it's on the wall i can almost see where it is in my mind but um Believe me, you get prayed for. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, have a have a safe weekend. Thank you, Ray. God bless. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. See, that's why I have to have pictures. There's just too many people, and my mind is getting old. So. The pictures matter, and and they're set up in places where I, I think I can go and point at that picture. Here's a question from Seth. He says, in 1 John 1, 5, what is meant by in him is no darkness, only light? Um, Seth, that's a reference to his character, his nature. There's no sin nature. There's not a trace of evil, not a trace of darkness that uh, in him is light. Now, that's why John says in that passage that why we have to walk in the light. Because if we're not walking in the light, then we're not going to be walking in the same place that he's walking. And so, um, if you want to talk to Jesus, if you want to hear from the Lord, then we have to walk in the light because that's the only place Jesus is. You know, we, we can't imagine, Seth, what it would be like to have no evil at all, no darkness, not even a hint of it. Well, Jesus had none of it. There's only light. And so the practical outworking of that for us is that if we want to talk to him, if we want to hear from him, if we want to be in his presence, then we've got to intentionally walk in the light as well. So that's what's meant. It means there's no evil, no trace of darkness whatsoever. Jesus is not only the light of the world, but he is light by definition. He's perfect. He's pure. He's lovely. That's all we need to know. Good question, Seth. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Anna says, what will happen to those who are left behind when Christians are raptured? Will they be sad or mad at God, that's an interesting way. The second question: Will they be sad or mad at God? Uh, I think both of those things are true. When when the church is taken out of here, on a, the the world is going to be plunged into the worst seven year period of history in the world. I mean, think about all of the lawlessness in the streets of the United States right now. Think about the the the, the thievery, the looting, the burning, the destruction. Um, Minneapolis, for example. Um, the communities that have been destroyed. I mean, it, it, it looks like an apocalyptic mess. And so the people are going to be left behind to deal with all of that. But remember, they're going to be left behind to be judged by God. And the Bible says that the great and the small alike during those great tribulation events are going to be seated in a cave. In one example, they're in a cave. There's 100-pound hailstones that are pouring down on them. Imagine the destruction that would cause. And and they're, they're shaking their fist at God. They know it's the wrath of the Lamb. They know it's the wrath of the Lamb. But they shake their fists because of the hailstones. Instead of repenting, they're angry with God. 
And so they're going to be plunged in the worst period of history ever, by far. And uh, they're going to suffer and they're going to die, most of them. And um, that's just the way it's going to be. So that's, I don't know what's going to happen to them. You and I will be with Jesus while they'll be here sort of um, trying to deal with things that we can't even begin to imagine. Let's go to line one and talk with Kenny. Kenny, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hey, I have a question for you. Uh, I want to know your opinion of the peace agreement that's being signed in the Middle East right now between the Emirates and the Palestinians and <laughs> Israel versus the the one before the tribulation. Okay, I can do that, Kenny. I'm laughing because I got a, a question about that today in the mail. I don't think it was from you, uh, but it was um, a, a question from Jack. So uh, let me deal with the question. Um, there, there, there can be no peace. Now, I, I appreciate the initiative. Uh, I think our president has done some really good things as it relates to Israel. I think he has a, a protectionist um, um, policy as it relates to Israel, as is should as should be the case. Um, but, but this is not a peace treaty that is going to bring peace. Um, it's a piece of paper that is going to be torn up and and abused, um, you know, the, the, the people of the United Arab Emirates and the surrounding Arab countries uh, have all pledged to, to wipe Israel off the face of the map. So there there might be a peace treaty for a time, but, but the hostility is deeply set in hearts. So it's simply not going to last for long. And, and while um, it's a, a, a a temporary step that the world can applaud, and, and I think for the most part they are, uh, except for the, the Arab countries around them and those who hate our president so much that nothing that he does is going to be good enough. Um, it's a peace treaty that won't last. There, there will not be peace in the Middle East until the Prince of Peace, Jesus, comes. Let me also say something else, and this is the, the biggest problem that I see with this uh, treaty. Um, this this is our president, our, our, our country, offering a two-state solution for Israel. Now, that flies in the face of what God has told them. That flies in the face of what God has promised them. The whole land will be given to Israel. The whole land is his. The, the Israelites can't bargain it away. Americans and, and Arabs can't bargain it away. So the whole planet, the West Bank, I mean, that's Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. That doesn't belong to the Palestinians. God gave that land to Abraham, to David, reiterating it throughout the centuries. And so a two-state solution is, is somebody coming in saying, okay, well, well, we'll, we'll take this, but you get this. And and, and it's simply not a recipe for peace. So, I'm, again, I'm grateful for uh, our president establishing Jerusalem as the capital, sending our, our, our ambassadors there, our embassy there. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for his stance of protecting uh, Israel, but um, this is not a biblical solution, a godly solution. This is men sitting in a room together trying to figure out how to get around what God has already said. While the world might say that it's a, a great peacetime agreement, um, if if Barack Obama had done this, he would have won the Nobel Peace Prize over and over and over. Uh, the problem is there's not a two-state solution that's acceptable to God. Not ever. And so we really need to understand that. Um, I just got my, my research department just said the Palestinian leader and Arabs calls for a new peace deal calling on the UN to resolve it. So already uh, this this uh, peace treaty is is um, being exposed with the holes. So, Kenny, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. And pray for the peace of Israel. That means we're praying for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to return. But understand that there is no human solution here that's going to work. None whatsoever. So, thank you for the opportunity to be a blessing to Israel. Lisa, we're inside two minutes, so this is the last question. 
Lisa says, are we born sinners or do we become sinners? Um, the question is, we are born, or the answer is, we're born sinners? In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that we're born condemned. We're born with a sin nature. We're not accountable for our sins until we are aware of what we're doing, until we can mentally make that connection. But that's when we become aware that we are sinners. So there's this process. Yeah, we're born sinners. We're going to sin. Anybody who's had a baby knows that, that your, your child is a sinner. They're cute. They smell good. They're soft to the touch. But they are selfish. They're dictators. They want everything when they want it, and they want it their way. And they'll make your life miserable till they get it. That's because we're sinners. We're born condemned already. But then there's this process. As we grow, we learn that what we're doing is wrong. And then we make choices to continue doing it anyway. So, Lisa, that's the answer to the question. We are born sinners. We're always going to sin. And when we're aware of our sin, that's when we are accountable to go to God and ask for forgiveness of sins. That's the age of accountability. It's different with every child. But believe me, we are born sinners. Thanks for the question. Hey, thanks for the program. Good week this week. You've been listening to The Word of Stand Up For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, go to church. Don't just watch it online. Be a part of the body of Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh,